Welcome back to another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea, and that's the rest of our low slogan because we can't talk shit about anyone anymore. And uh, today we're gonna be, you know, discussing not just the Everton match, but sort of everything that has gotten us to this point. Uh, today, Sam is not with us. He. Uh, just send good vibes to Sam. His family kind of had a rough night yesterday. Someone broke into his family's home, so not cool. But yeah, send good vibes to Sam. But I am joined by our other co-host, Zach. Zach, I want to say how are you? I mean this outside of football before we get all down and depressed. How are you? I just saw my baby nephew, so that was good. I needed to see him today after uh, what I witnessed from... I don't even want to call it a team anymore. And then if you, want to, if you want to compound that, I'm a sucker because I watched LAFC lose the MLS Cup final on Saturday and thought to myself, you know what? Maybe, the, maybe Chelsea will have a reaction tomorrow and that'll make this an easier pill to swallow. And uh, that didn't happen. But the Lakers won the play-in, which is cool. The play-in tournament. The NBA yeah. FA Cup, as we like to call it in yeah. our group chat. So that's kind of cool, but... Lakers love winning Mickey Mouse trophies. Congrats. Listen, man, other, other than that, <laughs> it, 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 was, it, was, it was rough. And honestly, I don't mind if the rest of the Chelsea games are on Sundays because at least it gives me a chance to... It gives, it gives me a good chance to enjoy my Saturday and Friday night at least. Whereas uh, early Saturday morning kickoffs is just... At this point, it's a nailed-on guarantee that my weekend's going to be fucked, so... I've been better. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I got to enjoy some actual football and I tweeted this like tongue in cheek, but the real sort of Chelsea culture actually played this weekend. They were just all disguised as Aston Villa players. There's a wow. hard nosed defense, extremely effective counterattacking game against Arsenal where they deserved all three points. So it was nice to see a throwback Chelsea performance. Unfortunately, it was by somebody else. But Zach, let's get to it. It's uh, we can't really avoid this. Chelsea have gone to Goodison and have lost 2-0 to a very in-form Everton who deserved every bit of the three points today. Uh, Pochettino lined us up in a 4-3-3 with Sanchez in goal. Reese James is back in the lineup with Sassi and Badia Shield center back. Kugreya at left back, midfield three, Connor, Caicedo, Enzo, as we are, have gotten used to, and a front three of Palmer, Broja, and Mudrik. And I just want to start by saying that this 11 was probably like the most fan oriented 11 we've had in a while. Everyone has been asking for fullbacks at fullback, everyone has been asking for uh Mudrik to get a chance to start a game after he has shown his his you know kind of progression and and growth and then after last week everyone wanted Broja to start do you agree with that <laughs> at least so far it was a strong lineup I mean strong in the sense of if I was in his shoes I probably would have picked something similar we talked about bringing Connor back into the team um you know hopeful that his press would be 
useful against a midfield that's not necessarily ball playing or center backs that aren't necessarily ball playing. Um, Broja coming in for Nico because Nico's just been dog shit. Um, Tiago Silva getting rotated and rightly so. Reese coming back in and rightly so. I mean, this is the exact lineup I would have picked for the most part. I'd say 10 out of the 11 players I would have picked for sure. So yeah. in my eyes, no real excuse to not really have a reaction whatsoever, right. considering that half these guys played against Man U and that embarrassment. And and in, in terms of like injuries, I think this was probably like as close to perfect as you could get in terms of what we've been wanting. Um, I do want to start by saying that I was extremely disappointed by Armando Broja's lack of how do I say this? Just, I don't know what the phrasing is, but just not taking the moment. He was given every chance to earn this spot or make it at least a competition. And I think he failed massively. I think that in the first 10 minutes when the team looked like they had, you know, some swagger to them and, 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 a bit of fight in them and, and it looked like we could maybe get something out of this where we were pushing we had like a few shots on target all of that was not because of broja if that makes sense if, if anything it was almost in spite of broja being there thought he was very just lax on in the build-up i thought he was very wasteful in possession and then whenever he was in the box, he was doing what we were complaining Nico was doing, which is taking that extra touch, and he just looked off the pace. Um, so, yeah, that was really disheartening in my I, perspective. I'm going to push back a little bit. Um, N- Broja was awful today. I'm, I'm not defending his performance in any way, shape, or form. But th- I'm just very surprised at how quickly Chelsea fans changed their tune on him after he gets his second start of the season and what his first start was over a month ago. So it's not like, you know, he's starting every other game where he's in any sort of particular rhythm. He's a guy who's completely out of rhythm. Who's trying to get his confidence back coming into a team that's out of rhythm. that doesn't necessarily seem to have a particular game plan in mind. Um, so I think he was kind of dealt a shit hand to begin with. And this was one of those performances where it's like, okay, if you're the guy that can pull us out of the gutter, this is the type of match to do it. So I totally get that sentiment. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say Broja's not that guy after one start compared to Nico's or two starts in which one of them even scored and played well um, compared to Nico's God knows how many starts he had this season. So I do think we need to see more of Broja. Um, whether or not we're going to see that confident broja in a chelsea shirt remains to be seen but i like listen i don't think this performance was an in, was a fair indication of what he can bring to the team i think well, we we might get another chance to see him because uh after the final whistle nico jackson decided to choke the the right back i forget his name i don't know what the kid's name is the, the white kid that played I, right back for everton yeah uh he came on for ashley young uh, so Nico might get suspended again, which great as if we didn't have any more issues trying to get a strong 11 out there. He does another self-inflicted suspension, which cool. You want to make things harder on this team? Thanks, Nico. Go fucking party with Villarreal again. Idiot. So hopefully 
I'm being reactionary and he doesn't get a suspension, but likelihood is he might. So Zach, you might get your wish and Brojo might get a few minutes. Maybe he'll be a little bit more comfortable. Um, I just think today wasn't good enough from him. Like in the first, like I said, the first 10 minutes where everybody was up for the sort of fight, he seemed like the clear guy that wasn't up to speed, but you're right. Maybe I'm being a little harsh. Um, I mentioned the right back for Everton. Ashley Young had to be subbed out. And this kind of gives us a perfect chance to talk about Mudrick, who was the guy lined up in front of him. And Trey Wolf sent us a question. He asked, why does Mudrick get such abuse when he's clearly one of the biggest threats in the team today? Final product needs work, sure, but does nothing else but does nothing else helpful he does matter if that's not a G slash A, so goals assist capped at the end of it? Is he cursed by his price tag to be bad unless he gets goals and assists? Um, I just want to say, first off, I thought he was one of the two players that I'll highlight who I thought was good. I thought he was intentional every time he got the ball. I thought that while Ashley Young was there, he did exactly what he was supposed to do, and he was finally going exact, like right at the players. He had a couple of crosses across the six-yard box that any other team with any sort of bite finishes. I thought that, yes, he's still sort of rough around the edges when it comes to tackling players. But again, I think that if anyone was asked to do something in this game ahead of time, I think he was one of the few guys that did what he was supposed to. Um, I agree with Treo. I think that the hype and the price tag and the fact that Arsenal was going to sign him and all that will always haunt him unless he suddenly becomes a world beater. And I also think that, and I've been thinking about this recently, I think our media team needs to chill the fuck out with all this like overhyping our, our training sessions because it doesn't help. Like people are going to use that as ammo in the opposite end. Like, oh, he's just a practice player because in practice you see him scoring and doing all these crazy things and then the matches are a different story. I thought Mudrick was good, Zach. That's where I'm going to get at. I think he's being unfairly scapegoated, honestly, because the whole team's not playing well. And if anybody was trying to get the ball in the back of the net, whether individually or by setting someone else up, today, I thought that was Mudrick. Yeah, I don't want to harp on it too much because I agree with everything you said. Um, I, I'm, I'm just really annoyed at the individual player blaming that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just it's toxic, guys. Like you, you, you cannot seriously watch a match like this and blame one player for the reason why we suck. Like, if if if, if that's how you're analyzing the game, I mean. God help you, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, it's a combination of all 11 players not being up to scratch, but I think Mudrik was at least showing the nounce and at least showing the desire to get past his man, to put balls in the box, to try and get a shot off on goal, to just try to force the occasion, which, I mean, let's be fair. This is why we subbed on Raheem Sterling, and he wasn't able to do it. Um... You know, this is why we subbed on Nico Jackson, and he wasn't able to do it. Uh, Cole Palmer really struggled to find any sort of rhythm in this game as well. So Mudrik was really our only outlet in the attack. And again, this is another guy that I feel like is just uh, suffering as a result of his environment, just similarly to Broja, um, in the sense that 
in Mudrik's situation, he hasn't really had the chance to start many matches with a natural left back, or at least a left back that's willing to overlap and take away the first man um, and leave Mudrik in those 1v1s, which is where he is most useful. Like, in a 1v1 situation, he skinned Ash Ashley Young twice in the first five minutes in 1v1 situations, and I'm thinking to myself... Like, we got to keep feeding this guy, and Kukurea better be overlapping his ass off for the rest of the game so we can isolate him more. And after the first five minutes, we didn't see that again. And I think there's one instance that you mentioned before we started recording where Levi Colwell kind of played him into space, like a, like a ball yeah. over the top. And that's another ball where, yeah, great, Levi played it once. But I want that ball played to him four, five, six times. Yeah, and, I... and it's not like Mudrik doesn't make those runs. He does make himself available to receive passes. And nine times out of ten, the pass is either not being made or it's coming to him a, a fraction of a second too late. And now the defender's set and boom, all of a sudden we're playing backwards again or he's tripping over his own feet, something like that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to save like the whole tactical part to later because we will be discussing Potts' tactics. But yeah, basically to, to put a cap on this one, we think... Mudrik was one of the biggest threats today. People are talking about GA, if I want to use against them. The one goal against United, he assisted. The winning goal against Brighton, he earned that penalty kick. So, I mean, what out of the last... Win? and well, I, Yeah, I'm just mean, like, in recent history, if you want to play recency bias when we've been shit, mm -hmm. he's been one of the bright spots at least regardless of the mistakes he makes along the way he's been I a do, positive i do want to say one more thing about the mudrick thing because the goals and assists uh conversation uh, most of the time i think it's kind of unfair to even bring that up when the whole team is playing like shit but the fact of the matter mm -hmm. is and this is why i understand why trey is asking this question is because the price tag right whenever yeah. there's a large price tag like this you have to account for goals and assists because it's like, all right, are we paying 80 million for a guy who's making the hockey pass or are we paying 80 million for the guy who's putting the finishing touch on things? So I get the frustration there. I totally get that within the fan base, but guys, like let's be real with ourselves. If we're looking at Mudrik to be the guy at this point in time to be that leading goal scorer, leading assist guy, whatever it might be, it's just not going to happen. There's other players that should be ahead of him that should be providing those goals and assists mm -hmm. while Mudrik is getting his feet under him, and they're letting him down as well. And I'm looking at you, Raheem Sterling. I'm talking about you, Enzo Fernandez. I'm talking about you, Nico Jackson. Like, There's plenty of other players on this team that should be providing the goals and assists. And I think if Mudrik was in a team out there you're gonna hate me but let's say arsenal a team that's functioning on all you know on all six cylinders or all eight cylinders however you want to say it you know if you bring a mudrick on if you're arsenal in the 70th minute against tired legs the guy's gonna score goals and get assists because he's playing in a side yeah. that could finish he's playing in a side that's cohesive and the players understand their roles and I, I i just don't think this is a good situation where we can expect any of our young guys to put up these double figure numbers that were supposedly yeah. the, thinking they're capable of the whole price tag thing i didn't think i was gonna get into this now but think of it this way like don't fall into the meme of it all like let that be what other people try to blame us for like oh, all these price tags at the end of the day our whole squad's price tags are inflated as hell because that was the the vision and the project that with stanley and 
and Lawrence have, have been doing. So if you think about it, all our price tags are far higher than they should be. They are not true representations of the players we bought for the today. None of these guys, literally none of these guys have Premier League experience. None of them. So, like, don't fall into the trap as a Chelsea fan to be like, we paid 100 mil for this guy. Like, where's the 100 mil player? You're you're dumb if you think that that's what you're getting from the likes of Mudrik, Madueke, Palmer, shit. Like, Enzo, Enzo being even the closest to, like, being close to that. But, like, right now... We'll get to talk about that later. Caicedo, like, if you're going to yell about all those guys, like, those are inflated price tags because this whole 10-year contract and the way that the upper management has set this team up. You talk about how he would succeed, Mudrik would succeed in other teams. Other guys, other young players, Doku, goes into Manchester City. Doku is the one piece in that 11 that's different. He is now aware like his role is made easy when the other 10 players around him know exactly where to be 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Mudrik comes into this side and nobody knows where the fuck they're supposed to be. None of these guys have any cohesion. None of these guys have chemistry built with each other. There is no way and, and this might bring me into a conversation we touch later so I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's no way these young guys are going to ever give you consistent goals and assists right now. I'll leave it at that. Because uh, we're still talking about this game. We'll get into big picture later. Um, Wilson for USA is asking, how has Caicedo made this team better? And I'm going to, I hate this question, Wilson for USA. I don't, I don't mean this like you're dumb. And I, and I really not trying to say it this way. I think Caicedo has, has still been one of our top performers across the whole season since his arrival. I think that apart from his like West Ham debut, he has had 90% great games versus not. And as of right now, why does Caicedo look bad? Even though if you watch, like, look up the people that do the compilations of every touch the player has. He's doing magic with what's happening around him right now. This dude is more isolated than when Lampard's first stint happened and you would see the, the, the freeze frames of Conte in a giant circle with a gap in the middle. There's not, you don't even see Gallagher... Uh, and Enzo on the same screenshots as Caicedo right now. And somehow he is still getting out of trouble, getting the ball to the front three, far more than I would have ever expected. On the defensive end, like people are trying to make this guy be Conte. Listen, Conte had a much better team around him that was set up to where he could just roam around and pick and choose when to tackle and win the ball back. That is not what we have right now. And it is a completely unfair, like, comparison to put him in that position if we didn't have Caicedo right now honestly we would be in way deeper shit than we are right now that's how I'll see it if we don't have Caicedo United scores six on us if we don't have Caicedo the the Newcastle match would have been far worse the today's match would have been far worse because Onana Decore and, and I don't remember who the third center mid is they would have destroyed our midfield so yeah. I don't know. Again, this is another price tag makes people have crazy expectations. Caicedo was never going to score 10-10, like 10 goals, 10 assists. That's not who he is. Caicedo has improved our buildup. 100% has improved our buildup. But 
when everybody else around him isn't doing their job and they're leaving him. And, and again, this might be a coaching thing. We'll talk about that later again. But Caicedo has made this team better. We don't have to play a back three and be boring in possession 80% of the game to even try to get one point. Like we are at least able to deploy a back four. We're not successful every week, but we're able to deploy a back four with a shit situation in the back line and a mediocre keeper every single week. And that should be props to Caicedo. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same boat as you with this one also. I think it's a little bit unfair um, to kind of nitpick and say, oh, well, he's been shit. And like you said, Andres, he hasn't really had much help. And, you know, we can have the debate later whether that's a Poch thing or whether that's a Enzo or Gallagher thing. But it was clearly a 4-3-3 and Caicedo was on an island alone in the midfield. And the general rule of thumb is you got to stay within 10 to 15 yards of each other. So you can close down those spaces, close down the passing lanes, make sure the lines aren't broken. And the fact of the matter is the gap was more like 30 yards. <laughs> I mean, it was it was sizable. Um, and, you know, he does get... I do get the frustration because a lot of our bad moments do happen in the midfield where we give the ball away and build up and... Nine times out of ten, Caicedo's by himself, and he's usually getting bypassed with just a simple one-two pass because he's outnumbered in the midfield. It just comes down to that. But if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty, Andres, Caicedo was the most accurate passer to play 45 minutes or more, 94% pass completion, 80 of 85, right? He won four out of his five duels, had seven ball recoveries, three clearances, 100% tackle success rate, three or four long balls, and 11 passes into the final third. So where, again, was he struggling exactly? Because he won a majority of his duels. He won all his tackles. I mean, the eleven ball, the seven ball recoveries tell you that he's doing the defensive work. And let's remember that Everton didn't control possession in this game. Um, I think he's held his own quite well. And I think if anything's letting him down, it's the players that he's playing next to and a combination of the direction that they're given. Because... Caicedo is not the guy to man the entire defensive line by himself. He can't do all the defensive work on his own. And 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 for the Conte comparison, Andres, I, I'm just going to be straight up with it. Anybody who's making a Conte comparison with Caicedo needs to get over themselves. Conte is a one-off. He's generational for a reason. <laughs> like We're talking about the best out-and-out balling DM in world football for what? six years, five years consecutively, and you're comparing Caicedo, who had one good year at Brighton and half a season at Chelsea, to arguably the greatest pure ball-winning midfielder to ever play the game. And, and on top of that, Conte was completely set up in positions to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. in the When we first signed him, he was allowed to... Magic. He was playing Nesimatic, who was the yeah. one covering the back line. Mm -hmm. He is protecting the shielding the back three. And what does Conte get to do? Pick and choose where to pop in and, and be a disruptor. Then we move on to the Tuchel, or not even the Tuchel era. We'll go to the Sari era, where we're a possession-based team. And he's got two world-class, um, what do you call this? Ball retention, press-proven midfielders next to him in terms of Jorginho and Kovacic, who the only thing they're good at is keeping the ball. So then when we lose it, the odd time we would lose it because it was boring as hell to watch, all he had to do is get his foot out there and win it. And then you move again to Tuchel, possession side, back three, very systematic passing. 
he gets to now be more of an intellectual. So again, now you put Caicedo in here. Is that system already in place? Is everybody else being used as a full-on specialist? No. And I, I keep hinting at all the things that I want to talk about tactically. But again, like that is not on him. And even mm. then, despite all the things against Caicedo, I still think he's been more of a positive than anything else. I'm going to draw a comparison here, play a little devil's advocate. If you guys are comparing Caicedo, the people that compare Caicedo to Conte are the same exact people that compare Mudrik to Hazard. Like, it's Jesus. that ridiculous of a comparison. It's that much of a reach at this point in time. And it's not shitting on Mudrik or Caicedo because, again, Conte and Hazard were generational one-offs. Yep. Like, these are players that only come once every 50 or so years. So you just kind of need to get over that. Like, it's a different profile. He does bring a different aspect to the game. Um, and the, the the proof is in the stats. Like, if you think he's playing like shit, I urge you to look at his stats. They're telling us otherwise. Yeah. Well, I'm going to move on to the, the next question. This one from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme, the czar of our BOP Ultras. He asks, is it time to talk about James? Too many injuries and becoming way too unreliable. Now, is this him not taking care of himself, medical staff, or him mentally not being there? Zach, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Yeah, I mean, I know me and you discussed this already. And at this point in time, it's hard not to think that he could be doing more um, in terms of his physical health. Now, I do put a little bit on the club because he was forced to play for large parts of last season. You know, he opted not to get the surgery in the offseason, which I think was just a travesty of a mistake. Um, especially considering that we have a viable fullback in Malo Gusto. All he's not healthy right now. In the beginning of the season, he was. And, you know, that could have been... Maybe Reese could have taken the first month or two just to recover, get back, get his fitness back, and really come back into the team 100%. Um, but here's my... Right? I look at every professional sport out there, and I look at all of the greats, and I look at all of the players that are, let's say, above 35, or athletes that are above 35. What is the first thing they do when they start experiencing injuries, uh, muscular injuries, or joint injuries, whatever it might be? The first thing they do is they drop weight. Hey, look at, look, perfect example, Dwight Howard in the NBA. Kept hurting his knees, kept hurting his back. What did he do? He got the surgery he needed, he got lighter, and he really didn't get injured much in the last four or five years of his career. Like, he was consistently playing. You know, you get guys like LeBron James. The dude's 39 years old and barely gets injured. He's not half as big as he was in his rookie season in terms of the muscle mass and the size that he put on. And I know Reese James isn't old, but he needs to take a page out of their book. Like, if, 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 Whatever protocol you're going through and whatever protocol the club's putting you through clearly isn't working, maybe it's time you look at yourself and say, hey, okay, I, I tried X, Y, and Z three times. I popped my hamstring three times. Maybe let's change my physique around a little bit. Let's lose a little bit of muscle mass. Let's, you know, let's drop a little bit of weight. Let's get a little bit lighter. Let's focus more on the cardio aspect. That way, the explosive movements will be less demanding on my joints, less demanding on my muscles. It just overall, he would be in a better situation in terms of career longevity. Um, now, I'm speculating here because 
who knows? You know, maybe this is a type of thing where genetically he's prone to pulling muscles or, you know, he has a permanent damage done to his hamstring where this is just going to be a thing from here on out. I don't know the full story of it, but all I can tell you is what I'm seeing. And every time he gets injured and comes back, physically, he looks the same. It doesn't look like he really made any major changes. His diet, his exercise regimen, his physical size, the body mass that he carries around. He's a right back and he's built like a center back. I mean, he's let's be real honest here. He's built like a running back. And, you know, for a guy that's playing in a wing back, attacking wing back role, who's going to be putting in 9, 10, you know, uh, 11 kilometers a match, you you have to have the right frame to shuttle and run up and down the pitch. And from my position here, that seems like the only option he has left. Because if he doesn't change his physique and decides to stick with this, you know, this is just who I am, this is whatever it might be, he's off his hamstring again. Like, it's it's he is injury prone. Like, we can say that out loud without hesitating anymore. Like, the, the proof is in the pudding. The guy, this is his, what is it, second or third injury this season? But it's always the hamstring, though. It's always the same injury. So, like, make a change. Try something different. Start doing fucking hot yoga. Drop 10 pounds of muscle. Who cares? Like, it, it, between you and me, Andres, and, and maybe I'm being facetious here, and you could kind of take it away from there, but, like, if Reese was to drop 10 pounds, let's say just 10, right? Not much. Very doable within the recovery cycle. Do you really think that's going to impact the physicality he has in the game? No, not at all. I, and he's that's what I was like going to get at. House either way. He's he's strong. Like he doesn't just like casually tackle people. Like he fucking runs through them. And that's the the intent of it is what's going to make him good. I don't think it's the size. Exactly. My the only thing I'm going to say is like I think this is where American sports might just be like way ahead of, of Europeans and maybe in the mindset of it all. Outside of like your freaks like Cristiano Ronaldo, but. It's um, American athletes in American sports spend so much of their salary investing back in their own health. Like LeBron James, who is the greatest current era basketball player, he dropped a lot of weight. He changed his diet. Tom Brady created a whole fucking company to make himself have longevity and be healthy and be out on the field. Uh, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, so I know Russell Wilson has his own Jeff that makes sure that he's eating properly things that are going to keep him from you know having soreness and and things that may make your muscles tight like I don't know how things like this aren't happening here like I even Erling Holland like recently I saw an interview where he talks about how like he he doesn't eat like a lot of stuff and he's like yeah in the offseason maybe I have one pizza like if my, my gripe with this and it's like obviously i want reese to come back healthy i hope he has a good recovery but like as the captain of the team i need you there that is your one role like i need my captain present available playing especially in the current situation we're in like we don't have that many experienced Premier League players. We don't have that many players in this club that were here when we were winning. Reese, Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell is it. I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. Forgive me if I'm forgetting someone. Gallagher was out on loan. That's it. Three guys. Two of them are our captain and vice captain. They haven't played the majority of the games this season. They're rarely available. 
And then Tiago Silva is on his way out because he's old. Like, that's it. I'm not, it's, this isn't a skill thing. So the, there's only three guys here that remember the Chelsea we all compare this current Chelsea to. So I have a major issue with the fact that Reese, who has been talking about the responsibility of the armband and all this, like, perhaps is not giving his current injury history a little bit more. Like, our medical department is an issue of its own. I, I agree with Ron that the medical staff has its own issues. There's injuries all over the place. But as an individual, Reese keeps hurting the hamstring. Hamstring, 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 hamstring. Each time, that's at least four weeks minimum. Like, we, especially in December, we cannot have a player be out four weeks of his importance. Our captain, again, like, these are things that I think I need him to to realize. I think he's a quite the mature guy. I just I wish that his personal trainer or or whoever his inner circle is would just I get there's a desire to come come back into the game, to push your body to the limit, but it's almost hurting us more than helping us every time he comes back too soon. My, I I want to give a shout out to Michael Conan, one of our ultras. He said from the first minute, "What's going on with Reese?" He saw it before Reese was pulled. Like Reese is not playing like himself. I talked about it midweek that in the United game, he looked atrocious. Yeah, here we are. I mean, and yeah. and part of it is the management choosing him. I get that. But also, like nobody knows your body more than yourself. And and again, with his injury track history, you would think maybe I say something. Maybe if if Again, a lot of speculation here, but if he's a little bit more real with himself, maybe we set up different going into this match, thinking Reese can come off the bench and help us if needed, versus Reese is ready to go. Little things like that could go further and, and, and even maybe have given us a different look out here. But that's enough. I mean, we hope he, he, he recovers. We hope that things go well and he's back with us soon. Obviously, we're going to miss our captain, world-class player. It's just getting... It's deja vu at this point with Reese James. Every time we see him start, we all wonder, will he finish the match? Um, but enough about Everton. Go question. ahead. It's a difficult question here, Andres. I mean, I, I think it goes without saying, and we could both agree on this, that this is the most important recovery that Reese is going to have in his entire career, just based on the amount of injuries yeah. he's had. Now, let's say he comes back, plays three, four matches, pulls up again. Are we looking Malogusto, at potentially Malogusto? Malogusto yeah. becomes the greatest investment of all time. Period. Yeah, yeah. For all, I'm for right all the and, and I really, I hate to say it out loud, but like guys, that's where we're at right now. Like you, you can't. There, I can give you a list of so many great players that didn't hit reach their peaks or full potential because they were injured in, in any sport and. I'm really, really fearing now that Reese is potentially going to be another name added to that list. Should he get injured let's, again? Let's hope not. I, I have my own thought process. And again, I'll get to it when we talk about the manager and what he can do, about how we can help him moving forward. But um, let's see. I think it's a good time to just move on to the bigger picture stuff. We lost to Everton. Credit to Everton. They're on hell of form. If they didn't have a point deduction, they'd be above us at the table already. Um, 
there's just no much more to say. They're well coached. They know what to do. And and that's kind of where I'm going to go next with, with Ron's question. And, and we can get into the bigger, bigger potch conversation. He key, he says, I keep asking what's our identity. We've gone from UCL champs and top four to potch saying today we are mid table. Can this be salvaged? If so, how Nick Lenartson, can it get worse? What is missing in order to get Chelsea running again? He's still Potch in. He says, I still think Potch is the one. Kendall Higa, he asks, with all the different managers we've had within the last three years, what makes anyone think else, someone else is going to change things? I'd contend Potch is too good for us. Who is going to want this job now? We need to realize we are mid-table at best. Black emoji. Why isn't this working? So everyone's thinking the same thing. Something like... What is our what is the the move from here? Is it Poch? What is it the players like? Where where are we? Like everyone wants to point a finger. We'll start with the manager, um, unless you want to start elsewhere, Zach. I mean, and I I've I've been very public about. I I think ownership needs to take ownership. No pun intended. It's it's a. Uh... <laughs> It's very disheartening to see how disconnected they seem to be from the reality of the situation, how disconnected they seem to be from the fan base, especially the English fan base. And yeah, we're watching the match from the States, but even watching get the fans have zero connection with the ownership. They have zero connection with the people who are connected to the, or the suits rather, that are connected to the club. And I'm putting directly at Boley, directly at Igbali, Winstanley, all of those guys. Um, it goes down to ownership. It goes down to management. Poor recruitment. The, the, the thought team, a brand new one with a bunch of 22 and 23 year olds and expect to potentially be for a top five or top six. Or dare I say it, we're even doing that at them. So, you know, I I know Chelsea Twitter and Chelsea Instagram, all their socials went kind of silent. That usually is followed up by a club statement. I I hope the statement isn't about Poch, and we'll get into that. But rather, I hope the statement is directly from ownership, acknowledging this yeah. the seriousness of the situation, acknowledging where we're. At, acknowledging that we are a team in, in, in process of trying to find our identity and i also want them to, to call out the obvious that the players and the managers and themselves medical staff everybody just up a scratch like a little yeah, uh, acknowledgement and that's be great you know the fact that they're not saying anything kind of brings up the ptsd of bully saying you know, we're going to win the Champions League last year. It's like, really, dude? Like, you, you cannot be this naive. This, yeah, and, and you weren't in the podcast, I think, when Sam and I were discussing. I, I said that it just feels like he built a baseball team. And I mean that in the way that in baseball, you can literally put random pieces together and it works. Because in baseball, it's the same play every time. The ball gets hit, throw it to first base, out. It's there is no need to to let these guys grow together, work together. There's no learning curve. It's literally uh, nine nine individuals versus nine individuals at all time, 
The only chemistry needed is pitcher to catcher. Everyone else is individually batting. Like, it's all individuals. And in the way that American sports works, it works this way too, right? Where the owners appoint a general manager, general manager has an idea for the team, and then they put a coach in place. Well, let me tell you something. That's not how it works in football. Why has Pep found so much success at City? Because Pep has a fantastic relationship with their sporting director. I can't remember his name. He has a really very unique name. Um, How did Arsenal get out of the shithole? You have Edu and Arteta literally being buddy-buddy and figuring it out together because in football, you don't just get the individual pieces. The pieces need to match what the manager is doing. The, the pieces need to match what philosophy you're trying to put out there. So I think there's been a lot of catfishing going on. I think the owners and with Stanley and, and Lawrence lied to Botch and told them like, Sorry, my dog just came in here. She's just joining the pod, I guess. Um, they lied to Potch saying they would get him the help. They signed lots of players, but they didn't mention that they were going to sign kiddos with zero pre- Premier League experience. I think then they told Potch, hey, hey, keep the positivity going. We're going to get you what you want. And then Potch catfished us in the preseason, telling us everything we wanted to hear. Because at the end of the day, maybe Potch played a little bit easier to get the job instead of being hard-nosed. And now, today, Potch is finally broken. And he said, I've, it's time to reassess. I need the players. And it's been reported that he was asking for months now that I need to have, have a hands-on uh, role for January. Because just like, who was it? that Albi DeGrasso. Shout out to Albi, by the way. Back-to-back weeks now. Every week, we start seven or eight 20-20-year-olds, 20-22-year-olds who are in their first year in the Premier League. Why are we surprised that they don't know how to win together and lack composure? If a team did this in any other sport, we expect them to suck. Why are we acting like this would be different with Chelsea? And and I agree with that 100%. Like, oh, but Chelsea, we signed players forever. We always signed new players and it always worked out. We've always signed players in their prime. We've always signed players who've won shit elsewhere. We've always signed players who, again, we knew exactly who they are and we bought them for that reason. We got Michael Balak because he was going to be fighting Lampard for a box-to-box role in the midfield three. We bought Jorginho because we couldn't fucking keep possession. We bought Conte because we hadn't had a, a destroyer since Essien and Obi Mikel left. Like, there was a decision made for the profile of every player, and it was the missing piece of a greater picture. And the ownership and, 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 the, and the board decided that they wanted to blow it up instead of slowly integrating these young players and slowly bringing in the youth as we go by. Because in their head, theoretically, by doing so, we would never have to do crazy business in the future for big price tags. Mm -hmm. In theory, that sounded good. What I think you and I are asking for here is for them to own up and say, we did too much too fast. And now we're scrambling for solutions. Yeah. Because I think that's where we're at. And, and as much as like I have my gripes with Potch and I'll get to those in, in a second. I think he was also promised the world because he didn't take the job for months. Remember that like mm-hmm. he waited and he was patient because he wanted to make sure they were for real. And so 
I think he was overly optimistic, thinking things would happen. Then the season starts. Obviously, the injuries don't help. Like, look at the Liverpool match week one, how we played there. It was still not, it wasn't preseason ball, but it was still good. It was still a good product. It was still a great mm-hmm. product. Fast forward to today, Enzo needs a break desperately, but we can't bench him because there's no options on the bench because Lavia is, is still not ready. Kuku, uh, not Kukrea, what's his name? Chukwameka is still in limbo. I, I haven't seen that guy in forever. Haven't heard an update with him in forever. Um, Ugo Chuku just got hurt. So now we're going to run Enzo to the ground and people are going to start turning on him and becoming toxic fans without realizing that Enzo hasn't stopped playing every single minute for Chelsea since his arrival in January, which was hot off of a World Cup, hot off of playing every minute for Benfica, and he's 22. Um, yeah. move moving to Caicedo. Why was Caicedo so good in the system that he was at? There was no bigger gaps than 10, 15 yards. No matter where he looked, he was going to have an option. Like Palmer had seven Premier League starts before joining us. Why was Palmer so consistent? Like before, and now he's kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. Because again, I talked about Doku. That was Palmer last year. He was the only guy that was new to that team. Yeah, like. Now, I'm done protecting Poch because I think these are all issues of the planning, the guys that are putting down the checks and signing those deals. Here's my gripe with Poch because he's the one that sets up the team. And, and sorry, Zach, I'm pulling a you and, and ranting real hard. No, here. no, you're good, you're good. I texted, texted this to my buddy, Jad. Things that Poch can control. Instructions in a game. And here are the ones that, I, here are the ones that I've listed in a quick rant to my buddy. Things that should happen on a week-to-week with a match. Cole Will should be at center back. Enzo being involved earlier in the build-up to allow him to find a killer pass early, which he's so good at. Mudrick being played into space, not to feet looking backwards. Jackson and Palmer playing close to each other. And Sterling crashing the box for low crosses. All those things are things that should be happening every single week and should be replicable by everyone else on this team. So if you don't have Cole Will at center back, then it's Body of Shield playing that role. If it's not Enzo, maybe you you allow Caicedo to do that when Enzo needs a break because Gallagher can be a chameleon of sorts. If it's not Mudrick playing into space and not feet, maybe that's Noni, maybe that's someone else. Jackson and Palmer, we need to have that. Palmer looks lost at right wing when he has nobody around him. And then to add to this list, Caicedo looking so, so, so desperately alone in the middle invert your fucking fullbacks especially now when we have no healthy fullbacks put the the, if you're gonna have to line up with four center backs push two of those guys in the midfield and give Caicedo options to build out of the back in like a two three shape but at least do something that's repeatable for these guys to even if you can't choose a consistent 11 which again not Potch's fault much more of like I have to do what I can do at least you have the same formula week in and week out because that's how we can see progress that's how these guys can grow and and not learn maybe not learn the telepathic nature of each other individually but of what the team is asking me to do like that's where my frustration comes because people are saying it does look like we regress week to week to week to week right now and that's not good. Meanwhile, you've got teams like Wolves, Bournemouth, um, Fulham, all playing a brand of football that 
all playing a brand of football. I'll leave it at that. They have a brand with mm. far lesser talented players. And yes, they have the experience. They have the experience. Today, the rounds were saying, oh man, we miss Willian. And I was like the biggest Willian hater. But to my own, like tapping myself in the shoulder, Willian was on the low end of what the standard was at Chelsea back then. Like, that's how yeah. far we've come. Where like, when Willian became the number 10, I was like, oof, Willian's the number 10 jersey? And, and I was complaining about that. So how far our standard has come. But that's, that's where I'm at with Poch, man. I, I need him to, to stick to his guns for once. Like, show me what Poch ball, in quotation marks, is going to look like. Like, I need to see repeatable things. Like, I can't have, oh, well, we built out of the back against Man City, and then we look like we've never passed five times in the past ten days. That's... That's kind of how I am right now, man. Like, I just don't... That's that's my one inch with Poch. Like, I give him grace for the injuries and all that, but tactically speaking, man, these guys gave it... They gave it everything this time. I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that phrase today. Against Everton, they had effort. They had it. They were just completely lost into how to, how to make things happen, and that's coaching. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. And just to kind of add to it, I think... One of the disappointments or letdowns for this season under Poch has been the reaction that we get from the players on a week to week basis. Like this guy came in and it was clear that you know he was really trying to get on the players' side for relationships with them, not just you know a football pitch. All these parts of him hosting barbecues and asking about their families and having dinners together and doing various events and you know just being social with these guys and bringing them to his office, just saying how are you as a person. Not you know whatever's going on on the football pitch, and that's all. That's great, but like you said we were kind of catfish in that sense. Like a a big part of me, and don't shoot saying this, feel like some of the players aren't necessarily playing for him. Now the efforts there, but that could be because they're playing for themselves. That could be because they're playing for their teammates. But I look at guys Nico Jackson's disciplinary issue as case in point point of the 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 point i'm trying to nail in here that, you know the guy got five yellow cards Poch, or a guy got four yellow cards pochettino goes out in a press conference publicly calls him out and says nico needs to be better to pick up these needless yellows Very he picks up a nice yellow in the first half gets suspended for the next game and then what happens when he comes back he continues to pick up these stupid needless yellows or get into these stupid skirmishes where it's literally just a matter of losing the mental game. Like other teams figured him out. Like you, it, if I'm a position coach and Nico Jackson starting. I'm telling, I can't get skin. Like, pull out all the stops. Like go full shit house. Let's get him sent off. Let's get him carded. Let's get his head out of the game. Nico's just one example. Um, you know, I'm looking at the rest of the team here, and what is what exactly is Raheem Sterling's role on this side what exactly was the purpose of not starting consistently until the last two or three games like what what exactly is the logic of you know levi colwell out left back when players don't perform it needs to be known to them and those mistakes shouldn't be repeated over and over again unfortunately 
I'm either seeing the player not react or the manager not react. Nine times out of ten, it's both. And I could go on a list of all of these players and point out, you know, various instances where, you know, the direction necessarily wasn't there. They look like a chicken with their head cut off, or it's clear that they don't understand the direction Poch is trying to get them to play or, 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 or play a ball into or move into. It's all over the place. Like, do we have any identifiable characteristics of Poch ball at this point in time? I would argue no. What is Andres? Let me just ask you this, and it's not—it's not a trick question. Just give me first answer that comes to your mind. What's a, what's a characteristic of Potchball that we've seen consistently this season? If if you have to tell me Potchball in one phrase, what is it? There is no answer. I I can't tell you anymore because it's exactly. changed. It's changed time and time again. And and at this point, there is nothing concrete at all there's nothing concrete because the first couple games it was a back four that turned into a back three in possession then it was um we were four two three one then we decided to go four three three which in the better part of the season started to make sense and and now i don't i have no idea man it's it's i don't know it can't get it's not getting better um and yeah, I I don't know what to what to really know like expect and we're halfway through the season. We should have seen it by now. Like again, I I don't I hate saying like compare and contrast, but Unai Emery has the best home record in the Premier League. Anj Postacoglu has lost had lost three games in a row for Spurs, but then they beat Newcastle today. And he was given leniency because there is a product. He lost Harry Kane. He lost the best Premier League player. There's a, there's a, sorry, there's a, what's it called? A pattern, a, a, a brand there. I don't know how to say the Bournemouth manager's name. But he came in from this season. The very thing he said, I'm going to press the living shit out of everyone. From Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. And it's, and he's committed to it. His players are bought into the idea. Mm-hmm. There is nothing nothing that we've done and it's not the thing i I, like i can't say oh potch wasn't here all summer like sure caicedo palmer didn't have an off season but that's it everyone else was here Mm -hmm. like he is now going to be forced to play ian matson consistently because of uh, greya and sanchez are now hurt so ian matson is going to get to play maybe but the fact that in those 12 minutes he looked so confident as a left back should tell you everything you need to know that that even Poch is not doing his job correctly where he can't profile his player well enough to, to trust him elsewhere. So yeah, I, our identity needs to be priority number one. Um, but yeah, I think uh, now the question that, that we need to tackle is how, what can we salvage from this season? Yeah, so um, we're going to get into the rest of the season, Andres. I just wanted to mention one thing really quickly here, or rather just kind of make a general statement. Um, you know, a lot of people calling for Poch's head on Twitter, and um, it's understandable as to why the product hasn't been good enough. Just like the players, he hasn't been good enough. Um, we're not just like the players, just like the players, ownership, everybody. Everybody hasn't been good enough across the board. 
but you know, we, we were talking a little bit before the podcast and just kind of saying, you know, we're both on, we're not necessarily potch in, but I'm definitely not potch out because I don't think there's a single manager out there. And I said this last podcast, that's going to make this teammate better. Like you can't even bring a Pep Guardiola or, or, or Jurgen Klopp into this side at this point in the season and expect them to turn it around. Like it would still be a tall task for them as well. So I'm not really buying the whole, let's sack Potch, bring someone in and you know, we'll move. It, it doesn't work that way. So what I do think is potentially reassessing options in the summer could be an option, you know, if the remainder of the season doesn't go well. Um, I think Potch is definitely under the microscope now in terms of ownership. Um, but I don't want them to pull the trigger mid-season or even towards the end of the season. They should wait until after if that's a decision that they're going to decide to make. Because again, there's nobody better out there. There's nobody out there that's going to significantly improve us. And, and and let's just be completely honest with ourselves, guys. We're, what, in 11th or 12th? Bottom half of the table. Um, winless in God knows how many. We have all these young players. We have an injury record. We have ownership that has a terrible reputation in Europe. We don't have Champions League football. We don't have top players in the squad outside of maybe Nkunku, which still remains to be seen. Explain to me how we're a destination again besides the money. And like, I know money talks, but if that's how you're going to pull managers in, then you're never going to see success. I'm, I'm Bro, sorry. Not just not just managers players right players like, as well yeah that's are we point. are we we can't we can't keep signing 16 year old kids like that's yeah. like this whole promise of the future means nothing to me this whole like project 2030 like at this rate we're gonna be further and further from the top where we where we're used to being exactly. so yeah this this whole thing like oh like i saw i, I retweeted someone's like Oh, who do we get? Zidane. Uh, like it was like a list of three men. Amiron from Lis- Lisbon, or who was the third? Or Javi Alonso or Deserbi. I'm like, bro, we aren't getting any of those guys. Any of them, especially mid season. They're the the <laughs> only guy out there. The yeah. only guy out there is is uh, what's this guy's name? Hansi Flick. That's literally the yeah. only name without a job out there. And he doesn't And are we really going to commit? Like are you, Yeah, we we cannot go back to an interim manager. Like that's that to me is 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 worse than finishing it out with Poch. Yeah. Because as as far from the top 4 as we are now, there is still other things that maybe he can figure out along the way. Maybe. Well, and again, like you said, benefit of the doubt, because because again, as somebody that wanted Potch before he even got hired, like I, I'm not defending him until I see something. Like I, I'm at a point where like you're Potch out, I respect you. You're Potch in, yeah, I respect you. Like that's where I'm at. Like I'm just like what's best for Chelsea right now is sort of sticking with it. And and see, and, and part of the and go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say and see if maybe Potch can turn the rest of this season into an audition for next season because as of right now, he That's hasn't built, he hasn't built any equity. I don't care about the Man City performance anymore. I don't care about the Arsenal performance. I don't care about the Liverpool performance. None of that matters. Tottenham performance was shit. You have to be able 
But like you have to be able to beat the bottom teams too. Consistently. That's the key. It's not just, oh, you know, we type in Brighton and we beat a nine man Spurs and you know, we beat Luton at the beginning of the season. Well, guess what? All those teams towards the bottom are only getting better. They're not necessarily getting worse. Yeah. And you know, and, and the consistency in winning is key too. Like we ha- we don't go into game as fans feeling confident. Like I remember the Conte days, the Maria days, the days. We play teams that were at the bottom half of the table. You kind of walked into this going, I'm still confident. Worst case scenario, we walk away 1-0. And it's just a really boring 1-0 win. We get 90% possession yeah. and we're chilling. With Pochettino, you don't get that sense at all. So I think he is in danger. I do think it's fair for the club to look at him under the mic at this point in time but i also think it's important for us to see out the rest of the season with him purely because there's no better options out there and you don't you know completely throw your toys out the pram at this point in the season like we've done every single time in the past never works so this is going to be an audition for him if he can make it through the end of the season and we see some sort of significant progress and i'm talking in terms of beating the big six teams or or consistently beating teams that are less talented or lesser than us on the table like the that's the parameter and if he doesn't hit marks all they're off this summer i would have no issue with ownership reevaluating his position the other thing that i would like and this is this one's harder to gauge right but ownership needs to understand how does the i mentioned earlier that like symbiotic relationship between management in terms of the manager and the directors works because we can't keep doing this thing where we essentially hire a yes man mm-hmm. so so potch has, has has thrown back the first thing right we need to do something in january give me something to work with in january let's see how that goes um Obviously, if our medical department wakes up and, and we can get some of the players, even the young ones that went away, like Chukwameka, if we can finally get in Kunku, maybe that truly is the big difference. But at this point, we need perform people who can perform now and people who are available. So yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think firing Potch right now makes any sense. I don't even know like where we are going to be in the summer for managers to come to us. Like the, the, the conversation about Xavi Alonso, forget about it. The only job he'll probably take is Real Madrid. That dude is sky high right now with Boone, like with uh, Leverkusen. He can get them. I don't, I think they're in Europa league this year, so he can even get them into champions league. He can win multiple trophies there. Why the hell would he hit the master reset button and come here? He already got a bunch of young they even have more experience than we do they already he already got a team that was like pushing for top four to like taking down the behemoths that are Dortmund and Bayern then you got Amiron or whatever at Lisbon he probably is not looking to get a mid-table side either like we are at a point where as fans we really do need to hope that Poch figures it out or realistically our only hope is that Mourinho has like a call from God telling him that he his destiny is to come back to Chelsea and and fix his club that that's literally where my mind is at in terms of who we sign otherwise as fans we need to come to the to the harsh realization that we might have like a no name not elite manager coming after Poch honestly 
if, if things aren't going to get better under Poch, that's where we're yeah. heading. Mm-hmm. But Zach, let's try to get a, a positive spin on this because it's a long season, and as fans, we need to have something to look forward to. What do you think needs to happen to salvage this season? Like, what can salvage this season for you? And forget I, Champions League. Like, let's not talk top yeah. four. Like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not happening. So you're asking, like, what's an acceptable place in the table? Or what, are you asking what like, makes you what in general the season? What makes you think that after December 11th, which is when we're recording today, that the ship turned around in a good direction? What would make you think that? What or what I, could make you think this season is not a total failure? It's kind of hard to answer that at this point in time, if I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest. I think the obvious one is Nkunku. You know, if he comes back and he starts scoring goals, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there's a guy that the rest of the young players could sort of lean on and rally around to break down those deep blocks to just kind of score the low XG goal, you know, create that chance at the end of the game if, you know, we don't get a sniff or the guy that could take that chance. I think that's the obvious choice, but outside of that, the only other real positives I could think of is maybe with these some of these other injuries, like a guy like Romeo Lavia coming in and looking really, really bright. You know, maybe he partners with Caicedo better than Enzo does. Um, you know, maybe that maybe they form midfield three together. Um, you know, maybe Chuck Wameka comes back in and really nails down the number ten spot and keeps Gallagher out on the right wing or uh, uh, Palmer out on the right wing. You know, it, it it is difficult to kind of gauge what would be a positive here. But if I, yeah, I don't know. I think Nkunku is the big one. Maybe if we can get a tune out of some of the players. But really the big thing for me is just making sure that at some point this season we see consistency with performances. We don't even have to win every game. Like, we talked about yeah. it last pod. I am totally, like, and this has happened many times in the past where I've actually been happy with draws, like in terms of performance, in terms of the levels that we hit, right? Like if we run into a Man City on their best day and it's it's a hard fought, again, the 4-4 draw, we felt good, good about that game. Like in the grand scheme of things, we played well, we took them out of their element, we made them uncomfortable, and we earned salt. So like there's nothing really to hang your head about. But the problem is we don't see that performance week after week after week. After week. Like you can have a down performance. You can have a shit game. You can drop down and ours does it. I mean, they drop three games in a row. Spurs drop was lost once or twice this season. They're prone to drop points. So, like, it happens to even the best teams. But my thing is, we shouldn't be shit times. If anything, it should be maximum effort nine out of ten times. It should be the other way around. So that's the big thing for me. And it's so baseline. It's so elementary. It's like JV fucking high school soccer all over again, just effort boys. But that's kind of where we're at at this point because I'm not expecting this to be any of the big. I'm not expecting any of these players to just start banging pen plus between now and this. That's assuming he knows what the hell's going on with recovery. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to kind of leave it there before I talk myself into any other trouble. But it's just, let, let's just chalk it down to this. In Kunku, and consistency. I think those are the only two realistic 
drastic positive outcomes that could happen this season and Kunku being the more likely of the two. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like a cup run, right? Like if we somehow like, let's say like the consistency portion isn't there and we win a couple, we lose a couple and we just float around that sixth to ninth place. Because again, I, I want to be top half of the table. Like if we're going to turn it around, we have to be top half of the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's realistic. Uh, if you throw in a cup run in there, I think that shows that these guys can bring their level up because those are elimination games. So you have to get those results. I think we have Newcastle later this month and then Preston at the very end for that fake up. The Carabao Cup is kind of there. Like new after Newcastle, I don't know who else is left. Like I, I don't think there's any big guns left. I could be speaking out of term. Um, but even then, like that's... It's just so far, let's see, EFL Cup. We have Fulham, Everton, Middlesbrough, and I can't tell who that is, and then Liverpool, West Ham. So we wouldn't even see Liverpool until the final. So there's a, that's a trophy that if it's there, if it's something we can aim for, if we beat Newcastle in the cup run, that I think would be super important. Uh, just because, again, those get you into the lower tier European ones. And I think these players... If it seems backwards because we should be performing when we only have one match a week, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're going to try to grow with this team and we're going to tr- going to try to potentially, if it comes to it, get a new manager, we need to have that extra competition. Um, so to me, it's like, how did we turn this around? We qualified for one of those and it's not going to come from the position on the table uh, in my mind, at least. So yeah, no. that would be something. Um, and then just, maximizing the value like maximizing the players that are supposed to be maximized like enzo and caicedo should be miles and above visibly better than connor gallagher that that's something that like uh, the the people that are right now saying like oh gallagher is our best player like our best midfielder holy cow that's amazing like no 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 that's not amazing because that means our recruitment is complete ass and we shouldn't have spent 200 million like, I want them to be the amazing ones, you know? Like, yeah. I can't have this be so backwards. Um, so, yeah, I think, can we turn it around to an extent? We can turn it around to where it's like, okay, it wasn't a total disaster, but it wasn't worse than last year. Like, that's literally my new bar. It cannot get worse than last year. Please don't let it get worse than last year. Um but yeah, man, I don't, I don't know what else to, to say at this point. I mean, we play Sheffield next, <laughs> next weekend. I mean, I guess that's a positive, but we, I don't know. They I, won I, though. Chris Wilder came back, and they already won a game. Yeah, I know, and hopefully that's just a manager bounce. But it's hard to feel confident about any game at this point in the season. I mean, I was watching the Luton and Man City game, and Luton. Played really well. Scored, scored <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah, they took the lead in the first half, and Granite City really just opened the floodgates in the second half. But I mean, you're talking about the most expensive ever assembled Premier League eleven against the cheapest ever Premier League eleven. Probably going to lose that one, Luton. But yeah. they're playing well. You mentioned Bournemouth; they were in a relegation battle. They're playing well. Everton in a relegation battle. They're playing well. The only teams that are really sucking right now is us and West Ham at the moment. Tottenham got up to 
So it's like, yeah. I, I feel good that's what we go into. And that's why I'm harping on the quality of the performance and not necessarily the quality of the results for the rest of the season. And I never thought I would say anything as Spursy as that in my entire life, but here I am. There's really nothing else to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a weird spot as Chelsea fans to be where we're at right now. Um, for the benefit of the club, we need to get something figured out because, like we alluded to earlier, if we don't turn some sort of thing around, good luck recruiting players, good luck recruiting managers, good luck recruiting, hell, even a sporting director should the owners give up on with Stanley and Lawrence. So the we need to get out of this funk or we will be stuck in like a limbo of mediocrity for what could be years because everyone who's hoping for Osimhen, oof, I, I got news for you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. not going to happen. I mean, we have, yeah, we're going to have, so, problems. We're gonna have problems players like Enzo, <laughs> you know, if it keeps going like this, like how long do you really expect a world up winning 23 year old? around and not play champions league you know i mean the same thing kind of goes for every single player in the squad yeah. it's like you know the talent's He's, there that's frustrating but. that's what i mean so again we need to turn this around again to preach consistency to young players may be hard but we need our our current manager to really be the leader of this team and and perhaps stop coddling them and such so Here's to hoping for better times, for better days, and, and a light at the end of this very, very, very dark tunnel. Um, hopefully, for our own sanity, we don't have to record tomorrow because we are in this weird immediate silence as of the end of the game today. And uh, yeah, we appreciate all of you for, for posting questions. Been very active trying to, to get your questions answered. Um, makes our job easier and, and again we appreciate seeing everyone's point of view uh, if you haven't asked questions before feel free to tweet us at blues on parade um, we always look at everyone's comments and uh yeah even despite chelsea not giving us what we want we will still be recording after the sheffield match we are not going to be doing a review because honestly i think we've given you guys all the information you need to know about the club and that's in our heads because it doesn't matter what the opposition does at this point it's about what we do but as always, we are going to try our best to keep the blue flag flying high.